Okay, don't be afraid. The book of Revelation is not designed to scare you. It's designed to give you hope. It's all about hope. It's all about discipleship. But most importantly, it is all about Jesus Christ. So we are so excited to offer these sermons on the book of Revelation. We hope you enjoy them. Church, the reading for today's sermon comes from Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, the seventh trumpet. Listen with the eyes and the ears of your hearts open. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Almighty God, Father, creator of this universe, speak to us now through your holy word. Unravel for us mysteries. Help us to see your majesty. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for your son and for your Holy Spirit to come and fill this place in this hour. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Chad's sermons these last couple of weeks, we've covered some tough readings in Revelation. These passages on the six trumpets can be difficult to hear, and still we hold on with hope. Today we finally come to the seventh trumpet, and the passage I read to you is beautiful. It expresses joy and hope in the midst of sorrow. And I need to share with you why this seventh trumpet is the final woe, why there is sorrow, why there's thankful singing by these elders through their sadness, tears through their joy. Up to this point in the vision, God's judgment has been partial, and deliberately so. In his sovereignty, God has chosen to act in this way so that people who have thus far rejected him, they will turn to him. They will come to faith. Oh, he's giving everyone the opportunity to do so. He's, he's holding this door open for a very long time. At the same time, 
those of us who do follow him, who do profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we've been crying out to God to exercise his full power, bring justice, end evil in this world. And this is a cry for vindication, for God's vengeance. So this passage presents a time of realization for us. For some, it's a day of relief, a time of gratitude. Finally, expectations are being fulfilled. Vindication is finally being made against those who've terrorized them, those who've attacked their faith. For others, this is a day that they have dreaded for their loved ones or their friends. It's a time of disappointment. It's the reality that they may never see those unbelievers again. The door that God has held open for so long is now closed in order to end all evil. So we approach the seventh trumpet with this emotional mixture of trepidation and excitement. Simultaneously, the mystery of death and the hope of heaven. You see, on the one hand, John has been warned of these terrible three woes to come on the earth. Chad preached on them in chapter eight and in chapter nine, and here we have the third one now in chapter 11. On the other hand, John hears the seventh trumpet and the text sounds joyful, more like the fulfillment of a promise than the oracle of a woe. The majestic song is sung through tears of joy. Loud voices in heaven announce for us in verse 15 that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. Add a resounding hallelujah to that, and you find familiar music. Sung at Christmas and at Easter, this is the hallelujah chorus from George Frederick Handel, his magnificent Messiah. In 1741, George Frederick Handel was in debt. He was depressed as his writing and presenting operas appeared to be falling out of favor. And it's understandable if he felt lost or defeat or weary, but inspired by a poem and holding on to hope that God had a purpose for him, Handel composed Messiah. This glorious peace that calls and celebrates and cries. Can you just imagine his tears through the joy? Hallelujah. Modern day music conductors will say that Handel's writing about the human response to the divine, that Feelings of joy from the Hallelujah Chorus second to none. And it will always lift your spirits if you're feeling down. And this truly is a joyful song, praising God, 
through a time of despair. In today's reading, the announcement as the seventh trumpet blasts, this indicates a transition in Revelation. So back when I preached in chapters four and five, I described for you the grand throne room and who was on the throne. And I shared with you about the 24 elders, symbolically the 12 representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 representing the 12 disciples. Well, they reappear now in the vision in chapter 16. Again, they are seated on their thrones around God. And again, they fall on their faces in awe and reverence and worship. And they offer thanksgiving to the Lord God Almighty for what he has done and what he is doing, praising him for who he was and who he is. The song of the elders recalls for us God's description at the very beginning of this vision. But there's one difference. Who he was, who he is, yes. But there is no acclaiming for who he will be in the future. His time is now. In these few verses, the Lord God Almighty has come. And in this scene today with these 24 elders, it forms this kind of inclusion in chapter 11 with those we talked about in chapter four and chapter five. Framing the seven seals back then, the seven trumpets now. And we will have this pattern continue again a third time in the vision with the seven bowls in chapter 19. It gives us three different views of joy and of despair. In verse 17 here, the elders sing expressing thanksgiving to God for his great assertion of power, vindication, and vengeance. And it moves on in verse 18 where God's wrath comes in direct response to the nation's anger. Now this text is really no surprise in the middle of Revelation. Remember there's nothing new in the text. This part takes us back to the very beginning of Psalms, the second Psalm. Verses one and two tell us, the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. So now in Revelation, the final judgment comes, rewarding the righteous and punishing the wicked. Rewarding the prophets, the praying believers, and those unbelievers who did turn to fear and worship God. Punishing, or as the text reads, destroying those who destroy the earth. The creator's purposes here are for his wonderful and beautiful creation to be rescued from the forces against it to be rescued from the forces that would seek to snuff out life. It is time for death to die. Then at verse 19, the divine response to the elders' song opens God's temple in heaven. In a scene like Mount Sinai with Moses and the Ten Commandments, we've got lightning and thunder and rumblings and earthquake and a hailstorm. 
and God's Ark of the Covenant appears. Oh, this verse, this one verse is the only time it's mentioned in all of Revelation, and it comes at this time to provide comfort, to provide joy in the midst of tears. Back in the day, the Ark of the Covenant had been in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could enter there, and only on the annual Day of Atonement. It was not for any ordinary person to see or experience. Ah, but here in Revelation, in this full display of God's glory, and in the complete destruction of his enemies, God keeps his promises to his believers. And that's a terrifying threat to the enemies of God, and it's an uplifting promise to the people of God. The loud voices in heaven, they sing this glorious song as the seventh angel sounds his trumpet. And in my imagination, their song is harmonious and it's bold and it's well-timed. And in my head, it's pleasing to my ear and remarkable in its praise. It expresses joy through the tears. So you know, I have to tell you, I sing quite well in my car, (laughs) alone. I'm not Todd or Sandy or our remarkable choir here. But I do know one thing. I know that I sound okay, I, I sound better when I'm singing positively, when I'm singing about something happy. Otherwise, when I'm singing through my tears, My voice cracks, I miss a syllable, I miss the key. But to God's ears, to God's ears, when we will sing like these 24 elders, when we will express thanksgiving through our tears, well to God's ears, that's a beautiful song. It's glorious to his ears. We're conveying to him and to ourselves that we cannot do this life alone. Oh, that we're gonna give over to him our worries and our doubts and our fears. And we've got a lot of those these days, just pick a topic. COVID, economics, politics. And I'm not making light of those. I personally know those worries and doubts and fears. I personally know what it is to be laid off once in my corporate career and once in ministry. I know what it is for my spouse to be laid off, not just once, but repeatedly. Beginning about 10 years ago, Mike was laid off three times, once from his forever job, and then two more times subsequently, until his amazing IT career ended and he had to start over. So I know what it is to be economically afraid. I know what it is to play that financial ninja game. So which bill are we going to pay last? How are we going to make the mortgage? So truly, those worries, those doubts, those fears, yeah, I know, I understand. I understand what it is to cry out to God for his vengeance. 
for his provision, for his plans that benefit and do not harm. And I know what it is to pace my house at three in the morning, in the middle of the night when things seem most grim, and to cry through my tears and to sing joy to my God. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways. Step by step you lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. That's the song the Holy Spirit puts on my heart every time to praise God, to sing joy through my tears. I know what it is to have nothing but God. What I don't know is what it is to have nothing, no God. Now some of you may know that, some of you may have felt that before you turned to believe in him. And some of our friends feel that and some of our family members know that. They don't have the comfort from the worries and the doubts and the fears that we have with God in our lives. And this entire passage in today's reading, it's an important reminder that we have a job to do. God doesn't tell us how long we have, how long before Jesus comes again, how long before our loved ones would finally be taken. But we have a job to do. And it's a challenge for us being Presbyterian and being Presbyterian my whole life. I really do understand this. It's like at one point you're saying, oh gosh, God, do I have to be the one? I, I don't want to have that conversation with him. Or she's going to think I'm crazy. And maybe you're thinking, oh, somebody else is going to tell him about Jesus. And then I can say, yeah, right. Isn't Jesus awesome? But we don't know that. We don't know that. And so it's not our responsibility to make sure that they totally become Christians. But it is our responsibility, it's our call in the Bible to share the gospel with them, to demonstrate how the gospel manifests in us, to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, to love them, to share joy, peace, to be patient with them and kind, to share goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and to have self-control, to come alongside these people in the tough times and maintain our joy in God's protection, God's provision, when everything else in life would point to despair. I know what it is to sing to God through my tears. I know what it is to praise him in sad times and in good times. It is a choice to sing joy through the storm. It is a choice to share the gospel. It is a choice to be a disciple who makes disciples one person at a time. So remember, God chooses to wait 
to fully execute his power so that as many people can get in as possible. This woe tells us, though, that once that door closes, it's over. And that's the sad thing about crying out for the end of evil, crying out for God's justice and vengeance. There's this great tension here. Our hope that everyone will come to love God, that everyone will let Jesus be the Lord of their lives. The church has to wrestle with this reality. So let us at First Pres be the church. Let us be able to say we have no regrets. Revelation chapter 11 brings about this climax for the whole first half of the vision. And next Sunday is the first week of Advent. And in this Advent season, our sermons will address how God takes our fears and turns them to hope. This is part of how we testify to the world. We gather together and we sing and we help each other and we bear the burden together and we rejoice together. So during Advent, when we're celebrating this joyful anticipation of the Christ child, we are simultaneously holding on to hope. We're crying out like Bethlehem with joy through our tears. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent years go by. And we know that haunting melody, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. There's this tension, this tension of the already and the not yet. There is hope in the sorrows. What? will be your joy through the tears. How will you praise God and trust him when things are tough? And who do you know that you would invite to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? To know the Lord God Almighty and his Christ. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. King of kings, Lord of lords, hallelujah and amen. Please pray with me. Almighty God, touch our hearts. Give us the courage to reach out to one who needs to know you. We pray in that tension also asking for your coming, for your complete power to be executed and for us to live in joy with you forever. And in this tension, we have this Advent season coming upon us. We can joyfully sing Handel's Messiah. We can joyfully sing the Hallelujah Chorus even through tears for uncertainty, anxiety, because we have hope. 
in the reign of our Lord God and in his Messiah, we have hope. And so, Father God, we end this prayer with a great amen and with the opportunity to sing this hope. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.